Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke. And we're going to do a podcast today about feelings and diet thoughts. And the front of the card has the goddess standing there with these things circling around her head, and she's looking up at them. It's fat grams, carbs, question mark, calories, question mark, shouldn't eat, should eat, fattening, fat burning, willpower, discipline, control, sort of all swirling around like, what? What should I be eating? What? Obviously, my body is not any good, but I need to be eating something. And the little deer animals up at her, like with a big question mark, like, what are you doing, girl? And the back of the card reads, feelings and diet thoughts. Diet thoughts are the kind of thoughts we're having when we think we should eat certain kinds of foods or quantities of foods, count calories or fat grams or other eating rules that are restrictive and based on losing weight. These thoughts are learned from our diet culture. Dieting is an obsession that allows us to focus on something very tangible and concrete, giving us the feeling that we are in control. When we understand that diet thoughts can sometimes be a response to underlying feelings, we can begin to use diet thoughts as a red flag to explore these feelings. I love that Sarah picked this card because it is such a a powerful card showing us that our feelings and our diet thoughts kind of get all smushed together. But in order to recover, we have to separate them. That's a diet thought and that's a feeling. When I was recovering, when I could take away the idea that there was something I should eat or count this calorie or count this fat gram, then I would go to kind of a restrictive idea about those thoughts. Then I felt better. I felt more in control, which was, of course, an illusion because I didn't have any control. But I did have intuitive eating. I could trust my body to tell me what and when it needed to eat or sleep or pee or get a drink of water. I could trust that, but I didn't know that at that time. And I had to learn how to use that muscle and let go of the obsession of dieting, let go of the obsession of being ultra thin, let go of the obsession that I could control my body and I should control my body. Then once I let go of that control, I could feel again, this is a sad thought. This is an angry thought. This is joy. This is just normal life right now, and I just feel neutral about it. And then added bonus round, as I got more and more recovered, I could use the fat thoughts and the diet thoughts as a way to 
tell myself that something was up, to use it as a red flag. So if I started thinking, I should go on a diet, I should go on a diet, I should go on a diet, I could think of, huh, there's something else going on with me. And I have to say that since we've been in this pandemic and we've had to stay at home and I had to let go of a lot of my business world, more and more diet thoughts or fat thoughts have come up. And I have to tell myself, well, what am I feeling? Well, I'm feeling terror (laughs) or, or boredom or worry or such sadness. And then those other thoughts about dieting or that I'm too fat, they calm down. And I can just feel what it feels like to be sad or upset or scared. So I know that this is somebody who we have today, Sarah, who has really worked hard on this issue specifically and has come through to the other side and really gets to see her own diet thoughts and what they really are, what the feeling is beneath them. So I'm so glad she's here with us today. And Sarah, you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing these days. Okay. Hello. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lorley. I'm a native to the Bay Area, so I live in San Francisco and I work locally. And the most exciting thing I have going on right now is I just started a graduate program for counseling psychology. So my life is a lot of school and work and not having diet thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Job number one. Because I would imagine with that kind of a schedule of work and school and trying to have a life, as we laughingly call it right now, (laughs) probably a lot of diet thoughts come up. I would imagine you feel out of control or pushed way crazy. And how have you been working with those diet thoughts and the kind of thoughts we're having when we think we should only eat certain kinds of foods or should look a certain way? And how do you get past that and go to the feelings? I was thinking about how I did that. So for people that are just starting to think about how can I possibly do that, it seems impossible when you're going through it. And I remember when I first started working with you, I called you at the end of a horrible day where I had spent literally probably eight hours spinning in my mind about my next diet plan. So I had researched all the gyms within a 15-minute drive of where I lived and worked. And so I had two spreadsheets going (laughs) where all the gyms were and where all the classes were and what times I could get there. And I had columns for like commute time, arrival time. I mean, it was It was absolutely insane. And I don't know exactly what was going on that day, but for whatever reason, I was able to step back and look at that and say, this this is completely out of control. Like, what am I doing? And how long do I want to keep doing this for? You know, I'm whatever age now, I've been doing this for how many decades? I don't want to live like this. And so I called you and... I think that's when that's when it starts, like when you just are done, when you just feel so sick of it. And what helped me initially was just admitting to myself that this didn't work. Diets do not work, period. And I like your saying that for every diet, 
there's an equal and opposite binge. Right. (laughs) Because that can actually help you from starting the diet. If you can pause and think to yourself, all right, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to binge and I'm going to feel worse and maybe even gain more weight than I am now. How's that going to feel? Yes. So starting with this isn't going to work and what can I do instead? I think it's a lot of deprogramming, a lot of deprogramming. It helped me to expose myself to all new media. So I was torn between these two cards, between diet thoughts and fat thoughts, because they're so mixed up and and intertwined. But I wanted to talk about diet thoughts because it's one that I've gotten really good at. So I feel like I can offer more hope that you can get past those diet thoughts. So to answer your original question, which is how do I work with them, when I have them, I try to do what you were talking about, which is stop and say, what is really going on here? And that can be really difficult because I don't know about anybody else listening, but I wasn't very good at tolerating feelings. They're very overwhelming. I would feel like I was literally going to be swallowed by them. So of course you don't want to feel. Of course you'd rather go on a diet. Right. So it's a lot to let go of diet thoughts because that means that you're now you're going to feel instead. So I definitely think it's worth getting you know, support either from friends or professional support or whatever you can do because it is a big change to go from not feeling to feeling. But it's so much worthier. It's such a more productive path because there's a light at the end of that. You know, if you can learn to feel your feelings, you can learn to do all kinds of things or you can be on a loop of dieting for the rest of your life. Yeah. When you put it that way, sounds terrible. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, at least with one, you know, you can walk through the tunnel and you can get to the other side. And the only way out of diet thoughts is through the feelings. Yeah, that's it. And a couple things that you said that are so true. It's like, well, I can diet for the rest of my life (laughs) until I die. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or I I continue to experience these great results. Right. Or. I could just feel. I could just feel what that feels like, what it feels like to just have my feelings, which, of course, we know that's an illusion to think the diet thoughts or the fat thoughts or any of that or overeating or undereating or any of that really works because, of course, on some level, we're feeling it. And we go, why do I feel so yucky? Maybe I need to go on a different diet or work out at a different gym or put more steps in my life. Not that any of that stuff isn't okay to move your body around, but it's not going to take away the feeling. And that's what I always wanted. I wanted to take away the feeling, which good luck with that. We're thinking and feeling people. That's how it is. (laughs) And I love that you said it is so close. Feeling and diet thoughts, feelings and fat thoughts. Those two cards kind of get squished together because fat thoughts go to diet thoughts go to fat thoughts, go to diet thoughts. Right. Right. I think part of being able to let go of diet thoughts is letting go of the illusion that you're going to change your body. And reading a lot of the science helped me. I think there's like a legit grieving process that goes on when you just let go and go, okay, this is probably it. This is probably the body I have. I'm probably not going to get a new one, which sounds silly now, but yeah, I really had a fixation that I was going to get a different body eventually. I was going to be able to change this body. And it's so I think it's acknowledging that this doesn't work and accepting the body that you have because 
if you don't do that, then the diet thoughts come and you want to engage them and you want to do what they're telling you to do. But if you've accepted and realized that this is the body you have, like it or not, then you can realize that you don't want to listen to the diet thoughts and sliver of hope here. You don't hate that body forever. I promise you that that actually goes away too. And if I could also say, throw away your friggin' scale today, today, like right now, it's horrible torture device that no one should own. You know, you've got to just get the things out of your life that remind you that you're not good enough. Anything in your life that makes you feel bad needs to go. Yes. Including scales and clothes that don't fit anymore and motivational pictures of supermodels on your fridge. <laughs> As locks, if. Like padlocks on your refrigerator, not good. <laughs> and if those pictures of super skinny people would work, it would have worked when we were teenagers. And then you'd never have to have another one. But I would constantly go back to even pictures of me as a child and go, look how Uh, thin I was then. Well, I was 12. I was seven. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't I look like that again? Because now you're a woman and that was a girl. (laughs) Yeah. I have to say pictures are still hard for me. Like I have to not go back to pictures and look and go, gosh, if I would have only accepted myself then, I can't believe how I thought I was not okay then. Oh, yeah. And then I just have to say to myself, this is your brain having a thought that isn't true. This isn't real. You're fine today. You're fine then. And you're fine today. And that thought isn't real. It's right. really like metacognition, telling yourself, this is just a thought. That helps me. Oh, and the operative words are, and that helps me. On some level, it feels better to beat ourselves up by what we think we should look like or what we used to look like. We think that that is going to help us, and that is the diet culture right there. You will feel better if you don't like where you are and you get it together to do something about it. It helps to get pissed off about that. Like, who is profiting on my misery? (laughs) (laughs) Who is going to make the money here? If there was no money in this business, it wouldn't exist. Exactly. And that's the other thing about diet companies. Like, why is there a lifetime membership? Doesn't that raise a red flag? I shouldn't need a lifetime membership. If it worked, you should be out of business. Exactly. It doesn't work. Why, Why do I have to keep coming back? And... That's the thing with intuitive eating or just learning to love and accept your body is you don't have to constantly be going on a self-improvement quest. Now, what if you were fine? What if there was nothing to fix? Then what would you do with your time? That's what I asked myself. What would I do with my time and my energy and my spirit if I didn't spend this one life I have paying attention to food and diets and calories? Like, it's just, it's so sad but that's what I'm going to use this time for. Yes. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Rich flavor is one of your favorites. You'll want to join me. On the wine road. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. 
that reminds me of Naomi Wolf in her great book, The Body Myth, when she says if we were not taught as women to starve in the kitchen, we would be marching in the streets. <laughs> and I Amen. Said, oh. It's true. And then what would we do? I mean, we would be changing the world around us. And I agree with you about this. If diets worked, they would have already worked. They would have worked the first time you went on one and then whatever happened, and then that would be it. But they don't. What does work is listening to our bodies and doing what it says, and also to realize that our bodies have a little path, and it's much better if we let them go on that little path, and they might not be what we want them to be. Like you said, I definitely thought I was going to get a different body. How I got that idea, I don't know. But I do remember thinking, this is it? Oh, no. Well, I was supposed to look like Jean Shrimpton. This is a long time ago, one of the supermodels. <laughs> for, I was supposed to look like her forever. No, that would be Jean Shrimpton. That's not Laura Lee Rourke. So weird. Yeah, and it's sad and it's heartbreaking because you feel like, gosh, when I got underneath it, like what, if I was just okay with me, I wouldn't need to change my body. And I knew it wasn't even about the number, if you really think about it. Because I remember you saying, like, what if you lost a leg? Then you'd lose 40 pounds, and the scale would be different. And it says, no, that's not that's not it. But think about it, and you tell yourself, oh, yeah, that's not it. It's not about the number. It's about how you look, my shape. It was about my shape and how I looked. Because I felt like I must be disgusting. I must be, other people must be thinking how gross I am. And so it wasn't really even about how I felt about me is how I feared other people felt about me. Yeah, which was all made up anyway. Because all a story. They yeah. probably did never think that. We think that and then we smush it on to other people. Well, they think this. But really down deep inside it was I thought this. And so this is a good place to talk about body dysmorphia where Our friends and the people who love us with all their heart, they look at us and go, you're so wonderful. I love you so much. You look and act and are wonderful, beautiful. I can't live without you. And then we look at that, we look in the mirror and we go, oh, that's disgusting. I'm disgusting. That's horrible. Nobody could love me. And then people are like, I do though. I do. I don't care what you look like. So what is that about for us, that we don't see what they see? It's because we don't have the love for ourselves that they do. Right. And if you try to flip it and you think, gosh, how would I feel about this person I love more than anything in the world if they gained X pounds or lost X pounds? I wouldn't care. I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't even notice it. I, I just love that person. But it's so hard to turn that around on yourself. It is so hard. So really it takes practice because then the temptation, let's say you decide you're not going to diet. You realize it doesn't work. You realize you need to love yourself. Then I start yelling at myself that it's taken me so long to realize this. <laughs> There's always something to beat yourself up about. So yes, reminding yourself that the fact that you even got to, I'm going to reject diet culture in a culture that is built around consumerism and making you feel bad, that's pretty amazing and wonderful. And still in that culture. Yeah, exactly. So it's realizing, okay, I'm ready to try to not diet is phenomenal. Yes. 
that's great. And it does, it does get better. That's the miracle is like, I did not believe you when you said you could be cured of this. You don't have to feel like this forever. I thought there's no, there's no way, but I promise you, like I have not dieted in at least five years, which is amazing because I spent from 17 on obsessing. I mean, I knew how many calories were in a bite of an apple because I knew if an apple was this many calories and a half an apple was this and a quarter was this, so oh the bite God. I took was this, yeah. that I counted every single one. And now I don't even think about it. Like I just eat because I can eat and I eat if I'm hungry. And like, I remember you saying too, like what if chocolate cake and broccoli had the same nutritional value? <laughs> Which one would you be hungry for? Yeah. And that kind of made my head spin. It's like, huh? Like, oh, what if one wasn't good and one wasn't bad? Yeah. Then what would I do? What would you really want to eat? And what would your body want to eat? That's the key. Because my head will go chocolate cake every time, but my body might go, yeah, broccoli sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. That's what I should have. And like, if you aren't hungry for a salad, you don't have to eat a salad. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> The other day, I was I was thinking, you know, what am I hungry for? I was going to go grab the typical salad, and I thought, no, what does my body want? And I was thinking about another podcast episode you did where the person was talking about leading with satisfaction. Yeah. Like, Ooh, what would I? What would satisfy my body right now? And then if I eat that, then I'm not kind of picking and in the fridge all night and in the cupboard all night because it's like that wasn't exactly what I wanted. So now I'm just kind of grazing. To get to what I want. Right. When I could have eaten that in the first place. Well, I think of it sort of like being a shark. If I don't listen to what my body is hungry for and what will satisfy it, I become a shark. I just move and eat, move and eat. Yes, 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 exactly. (laughs) And uh, if I will stop and go, wait, what is it I really, really want? It's usually the first thing that I picked that I somehow deemed wrong. Yes. And it's scary to think about legalizing everything because, of course, you're going to eat for the rest of your life and never stop. That's the fear. And I can have anything and everything in my house that used to be. I can't even buy it because I'll eat the whole thing in one sitting. Like, I can have anything in my house because it's not forbidden. I can genuinely eat it when I want it and not eat it if I don't want it. There was times where whatever food was off limits... I wouldn't even buy it because I couldn't trust myself to not eat all of it in one sitting. And then that's my experience. So that's what I think I'm going to do every time. But the reason I'm doing that is because of the deprivation. So, you know, if you have this fear, like I I binge, of course I binge, I'm addicted to food. I can't be trusted. You're probably hungry. You're probably eating a lot because you're hungry. Exactly. Because you're depriving yourself. I wasn't full. I wasn't full. My body was underfed. And it was underweight. And so once I ate, of course, you're going to gain weight. But then when you're not hungry all the time, then you don't have these obsessions with food. I remember reading this study about this test they did or experiment with men who had no history of dieting. They put them on a diet and they started obsessing about food and calories. And they wanted to read like good housekeeping and (laughs) like cooking magazines. They just became obsessed with food. So I think, wow, you know, a lot of women were kind of obsessed with recipes and cooking and baking, and I think we're obsessed with food because we're hungry. (laughs) Yeah, and so many of the times we make these elaborate meals, or when I was suffering from my eating disorder, 
I would make these elaborate meals and then not eat them. Like live vicariously through the other people who were eating them. Oh, this is so good. You should have some. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm on a diet. (laughs) I can't eat that. And then you think there's something wrong with you because then you're eating it in the kitchen after dark. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because you never let yourself have it in the light of day. Of course you're eating in the dark. So crazy what this whole thing has done to us. It's sort of like we've all been brainwashed. You're right. Just getting over the brainwashing is just hard enough. And then we have our own stuff that comes up or whatever. And it takes one person going, I don't know if you should eat that, that I would take as like Mm -hmm. gospel for 20 years. (laughs) Oh no, I can't eat that. To be like, wait a minute, who even was that person that said that? What what kind of hold does that have over me? None. It's so great to hear you say these things. It's so refreshing to know that There's people out there that know that the emperor or the diet emperor has no clothes on, that it's just Yes. And I really understand from my own experience that you can have all this intellectual knowledge and still feel like you're not good enough. So it does take time. It does take effort. And that's that's when the self-talk, the positive self-talk has to come in. Like, you know, I love me and I'm okay how I am because... You know, you can know all this and still say to yourself, yeah, but I don't love myself. I'm not okay. I'm not acceptable just how I am. So after all the deprogramming is then you have to work on your heart and just having love and compassion for yourself, which sounds to me like something I would have ignored five, ten years ago. Like, and that'll that never work. Really, that sounds, <laughs> that'll never work. That sounds kind of weak, actually. And if I just, if I'm nice to myself, I won't get anything done, you yeah. know? Shame and yelling at myself is how I stay in, on track. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, no, so true. It's not, it's not really working. Well, and again, it's kind of a weird thing that how I was raised, I was raised with, if you love yourself, then you're being selfish or yes. narcissistic or just thinking about yourself and you shouldn't have those thoughts. You should only work for others. It's like I was born and bred to be a codependent. <laughs> Right. You know, and the female in this culture is don't be conceited. Don't think anything of yourself. You have, like, if you think, oh, you're too good, you know, you can hear the girls in elementary school. Oh, she yeah. thinks she's so good. So you can have confidence. You can't think you're good or else that makes you conceited. And that's terrible. Twisted. <laughs> twisted. Twisted. Right. You need to feel terrible about yourself and then that'll make you happy. <laughs> right. And then spend your life making other people happy and not making anyone uncomfortable. Yeah, God forbid anybody else has a feeling. John Bradshaw says that he was raised in a family. If somebody had a feeling, everyone rushed into the living room to stomp it out like a fire. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. It's intolerable. It's It's absolutely intolerable. And you're not taught it. I love that you remind us that this is not something you created and invented on your own. You come by this honestly. You weren't taught how to love your body and feel your feelings. So, of right. course, you're not very good at it yet. Of course. Of course. I mean, we knew it as little kids until it got mine bended out of it. So, what do you mean, have a feeling? Be quieter with your feeling or you'll give me a feeling. And I don't want to have a feeling. So, right. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like you're passing a virus. Catching. Yeah, right. Feelings are catching. Right. Well, Sarah, one thing I wanted to ask you 
is if you were able to go back to little Sarah at whatever age, and you could come into her bedroom and sit on her bed and go, you're having a struggle with this, but just remember this, Sarah, and it will help you through your adolescence and your teenagehood and into your 20s. And what would you tell yourself as you now recovered and and on a really good path and something that you know is true? What would you tell her as she was like, oh, no, what am I doing and what am I going to do and what is how is it going to be for me? Well, as you ask the question, I'm thinking to myself, I'm twisting the question into what would I believe? But that's a whole different question. Like, I don't know if I would have believed it. And I feel like I heard people saying, I love you and you're okay just the way you are. I think what would have helped at the the turning point of adolescence would be someone asking, you know, how are you feeling? How are you really feeling? So I might say to that, that little self, have your feelings they won't suffocate you. If you could just have the courage to sit with this little feeling for just a few minutes, it'll pass. That's probably it. I finally got to the answer to your question. Yeah, <laughs> I would tell okay. myself that feelings pass. They're like weather. And if you don't feel them, you never get to learn that they pass. But if you feel it, then you learn it passes, and then the next one's not so scary. Right. And if you learn to feel your feelings then you don't run from them because they're good information. They're like little messages from ourself to ourself. Like anger is my boundaries were crossed. And what do I want to do about that? How can I set down a boundary even with myself? Or sadness is this is really sad and it's okay that it's sad. And what do I want to do about sadness? Well, I think I want to cry. Good. Go for it. We forget that they are there for a very important reason. They are. They're little messengers. Yeah. And they pass. That's when I would feel sad or depressed or scared, it would just it would terrorize me because I genuinely didn't know they passed because I always did something right away to stomp out the fire in the front room like right. I said earlier. <laughs> right. I didn't let myself have the experience of it passing, so I really didn't know that it would pass. So the sooner I learned that, the better it would have been. <laughs> Yes. And for me, somehow I was taught that if I have a feeling and I make somebody else have a feeling, that was bad. So I needed to start with me not having a feeling and then everybody else wouldn't have a feeling either. And then we'd be happy. (laughs) I don't want to make anyone else feel sad or guilty or worried or... No. Right. I know. That one's really hard. Because mm-hmm. it circles all the way back to being selfish. If you're going to make other people feel, how dare you? How dare you upset someone else? Well, yeah. we're all grown-ups. We all get to feel them. If they're going to pass for me, they're going to pass for this other person. So let them take care of their feelings, and I'll take care of my feelings. Yes. And in doing that, maybe we'll feel together. Wouldn't that be nice to just have a real honest talk with somebody? What would that be like? Well, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about this. Yes, thank you. I just love it. Would you read the bottom, the Today I Will Practice? Today I will practice noticing my diet thoughts. Each time I think about controlling my food in some way, I'll ask myself if there are any feelings that might have triggered this thinking. I will then let myself have the feeling and ask what I need to take care of myself. Yes, I would say do that. Yes. <laughs> that, that, yes. Is a, that is a good answer. 
And I so appreciate you saying all of these things and being able to watch your recovery and watch your process. It's just been such a joy for me and such a a wonderful, mm, like, underline, 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 this is how you can do it. Like you said, you do not have to have this the rest of your life. This can be over. You can learn how to have your feelings and not have an eating disorder. That can happen. So beautiful. It can. Thanks to you, it can happen. Oh, thanks to <laughs> That's you. That's why it happened. You did yeah. the work. I just got to my sit. life. Yeah, but I just got to sit in the stands while you did the work. And it was just a pleasure to see. So thank you very much. And I will talk to you later, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much.